This is The Way We Roll with Simon Minty and Phil Friend. Welcome to The Way We Roll with me, Simon Minty. And me, Phil Friend. Our guest is a colleague, but he is also a friend. It's, it's hard to put him into a box with a, a single job title. So we've used some words from his LinkedIn profile and concentrate, listener, because there's a few. So words like brand, strategy, creative, design, user interface, social, identity, art, and innovation. Now, we first met John in the early 2000s via the Business Disability Forum. He was co-head of a design agency called Wire Design, and they specialize in business improvement through brand design, marketing, and digital innovation. And we ran events with him on inclusive design called Beyond Big Type, which was such a great title. I used to always get excited because I'd put my sort of creative media suit on when I was doing those rather than my my regular business suit. (laughs) Now, John works with high-level individuals and organizations to, I quote, optimize growth and success using brand design and digital innovation. Now, our regular listeners will have noticed we have changed recently. We used to be the Phil and Simon show with a photo of me and Phil looking at each other. And now we are the way we roll. And John was instrumental in rebranding us, coming up with a design and identity and helping us switch all the social media and other channels over to the new situation. So, John... Hello. It's brilliant to have you here and, and thank you for giving us your time and so on. Well, it's uh, great to be here. I'm a fan of the show and uh, yeah, a regular listener. So it's good to be here. To know. Um, we thought we'd just kick off really with asking you um, how you, you know, start working with people like us. I mean, there's me who's 123 years and he's got this rather lovely middle-aged chap. But it likes detail and quite annoying. Yes, 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 yes. And we make podcasts, as you know, and we talk about disability incessantly, and we sometimes make each other laugh, and quite often we make each other annoyed. So, I mean, how did that all come about? Were we easy to work with? Um, were you, uh, it's, a, it's a lovely question, is it? Uh, you were fun to work with, and um, I kind of been, want, I've worked with you ages ago, hadn't I? And I'd wanted to work with you again. So when Simon came up to me and uh, begged me to do it, uh, <laughs> You know, I was I was, uh, I was more than happy to actually. It was a uh, it was enjoyable. It was, uh, you know, you were you were very honest. Uh, I knew you really well, which was really helpful, I think. And when it comes to branding, that's kind of really important. How much you understand uh, what people are all about. So, so yeah, it was good fun, and uh, it was a little bit of hard work. It's a little bit awkward. Like nothing's painless when it comes to branding, but but it was good overall. I think it was good, and I'm, I'm pleased with what you've got. Do you think, John, you're bit like me and Simon we used to have this sort of mantra that we wouldn't work with people we didn't like Do you know what I mean um, Does that work in your environment well I, I, I used to have that as an ideal but when my business started growing I suddenly found I was taking on work for the sake of earning money so it's it's a lovely ideal and I'm at, spa- at a space now where that I kind of can do that more so it's uh, quite a nice time but uh, no I did get to the point where I was just churning work some of it i didn't like just to keep the uh, machine oiled so to speak and the the imagery that you came up with for us and then we obviously we discussed some of it but you immediately had an idea and there was a kind of a concept and, and a style almost and then then there was the orange and the, the various other bits 
how did you not create that? Well, how did that come to you? What were you thinking of? Yeah, well, it wasn't about you. I just had an idea I wanted to run with, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, the funny thing is, because having known you so well, I kind of saw you straight away as a, as a double act, right? So I'd worked, years ago, I'd worked back in theatre and, and, and events marketing. So I thought, this is great. This is like redesigning for Tommy Cooper or Ken Dodd again, you know, some kind of cannonball or something. So I thought, this is brilliant. <laughs> So I just went straight back to all those references and those old film posters from Morecambe and Wise and Three Stooges. And I just thought that just felt about right. I wanted to do something that didn't feel um, kind of um, corporate and electronic and neat because you're not neat or corporate um, or electronic. So I kind of wanted something that felt quite organic. And so I went straight back to those as references. I pulled up some other bits and bobs as well with um, some old jazz posters some kind of communist posters for, to reference Phil, obviously. There. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and a little bit of young stuff as well I threw in, even though, you know, just thought, just thought it should appeal on some level to young people for some reason. But uh, no, so I just went straight back to that. I mean, a lot, because your brand is so well-defined, what you, you know, the way you come across. And I look at you and I just, I think about you and I just kind of, I start chuckling and I smile a little bit. And it's really, that's really nice. So... I just went with what I felt was right, to be honest. Um, but then, you know, just worked it up from there. Which is really lovely, and thank you. There's lots of kind of sweet compliments in there. But, but nowadays, I mean, I, the image you come up with reminds me of a poster of, of those times, and that's what it's about. Yeah. Presumably now, is, it, is, it, is posters, are posters done, and it's about leaping off that little screen in our hand? Yeah, so, so with, your, with, with you, I mean, every client is a slightly different approach. With you, because you're just an online, you know, a product or service or, or kind of a broadcast, I just went straight across everywhere you might appear, everywhere you, people might find you. And, and it's not one bit of print on there at all, really, obviously. But I just mapped them all out, took screenshots of everything, just thought, how do I make this work across all those channels? I think there's something like 17 of them in total, including Facebook and there's, you know, there's Twitter and there's everything else. And I just looked at that and thought, how can I create something that is a bit more distinctive, that practically works, that can be consistent and that kind of reflects your personality across pretty much all of that. I can't believe there's 17. That's, that's remarkable. <laughs> um, Up on, on the hoof, by the way, I think there's probably about 10, but I thought 17 okay. sounded more impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What that makes me think about, John, is is then how do you how do you stand out in such a crowded field? Do you know what I mean? How did you what what were you thinking about how we would be noticed aside from the clear work you were doing on the graphic and stuff? Well, I mean, I, I think when it came to the naming, I I think I wanted to go run with the name uh, the Minty and Friend Show, didn't I? You did, yeah. Because I thought that what you have as your advantage is you two and so that for me is is a unique uh, something unique that no one else has and minty and friend because you were called the phil and simon show weren't you yeah yeah and phil and simon aren't unique names you know it's no more unique than the word john as we talked about it's not it doesn't sound that interesting but minty and friend i thought was great you know it's you mm. and that's what's special is your relationship together uh, and your agenda and the way you do it and your wit and everything else so i wanted to run with that but actually um so, so I thought, thought, I think you are the thing that stands out or trying to capture a little bit, which is why your faces had to be there and your names had to be in it as well, for me. Yeah. 
And you reminded me, I remember one of the conversations was it was like a, we were going to take over the world. We'd be doing international <laughs> tours and shows as this minty and friend brand. It's ambitious, isn't it? Yeah. And me and Phil were like, well, we're okay with the podcast now, John. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I had you in Las Vegas and an Oxford place. Then we got a residency. Yeah, Delton yeah. John and then yeah, 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 I'd be minting friend on the following week, absolutely. Yeah. You said for having a view of a business. I mean, going back to your business life much more than the stuff you Yes, have, yes. There's something about inspiring a dream, isn't there, that you could be different and bigger and better and stuff presumably that's a huge thing that you do for companies if you went down this route you might get gigs in the o2 arena or whatever well i've never met anyone who's running a business or has got something that they're putting a lot of effort into that doesn't really kind of think they can be better than they are it doesn't have a bit of a dream yeah. so i think um you've got to be realistic but i think yeah if i can help people to kind of get to where they'd like to be or where they think they should be and a lot of people just they're not clear about that vision i can kind of help them with that a little bit but if they are sometimes their brand or identity just is kind of holding them back so if i can say this 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 and this will all join up and it will give you a better chance of being more successful and reaching more people and making a bigger impact everyone's eyes light up you know it's like uh you know that's just the way it works uh, I, I totally get that. I, I think we're going to come back to, because you're a lot broader than what we've just talked about in terms of what you do, but also I know the work that you've done with us. It just makes you kind of go up a level. You feel a little bit smarter, a bit more professional, a little bit more, I don't know, you can take on the world. Uh, yeah. Whereas before it was me and Phil sitting, looking at each other. It's very well, different. You weren't far off. You, you were pretty good as you were, obviously. What you do is great. But there was just, when I looked across everything you already had, a lot of it just didn't join up and just lacked credibility, lacked quality a little bit. You, yeah. you weren't far off. It just needed making sense of. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com. We're going to go to your new work, but we'll just go back a bit. When we did the stuff with the Business Disability Forum, do you yeah. remember Beyond Big Type? And I do, I do, I'm afraid. Yeah, it seems like about 20 years ago now. Is it that must be 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know, 15-ish. Now, again, right. we always have to remind the, the listener, this was a particular time. No, people were talking about adjustments and employment, but no one was talking about comms. No one was talking about design, accessible design, in terms of that communication and print and so on. So how did you come up with Beyond Big Type? What was the purpose for you? So in 1997, I won a contract to help a London local authority to kind of make sense, a little bit like you really, to make sense of their brand and identity. Wasn't renaming them, wasn't coming up with their logo, but they were all over the place from a point of view of how things looked, the way they came across from a quality point of view. And, and when, they, when we got the piece of work, or I got the piece of work at the time with my business partner, Peter, um, on the brief it said, just as, as a small line, and make sure it's accessible. <laughs> so I went to them, I said, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he went, I've no idea. He said, uh, we just put it on there because we're a, we're a labor authority and we should make it accessible. And, uh, and then he pointed me at the RNIB and they had at the time a little leaflet, booklet, which I think it was called the See It Right Guidelines. Yeah. And it was kind of one of the only things that was out there. And I looked at it and I read it and I could see the intention was good, but it said things in it like, no type should be less than 12 point or letter. you can never use capital letters. 
it's a very, very simple, it kind of showed you how to design a poster or, you know, a record cover or anything, you know. And um, I just kind of sat there and thought, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And so I started to contest it. And the, the, the Beyond Big Type was kind of a response to um, clients just writing on, on, the, on, on, a, on a proof to you, make this type bigger. Right. And I just thought, well, you can't do that because that's body copy. And if I do that, there's a relationship between the intro and the headings and everything has to go bigger to, to keep that hierarchy because that's really important in design. And, uh, and they would go, how do you mean? It's got to be, and, and I, you know, Leonard Cheshire came to us and said, make our newsletter more accessible. It was all in 12 point. And I said, well, you, you need different headings, you need more space, you need a whole range of stuff going on. And so I went across to the Royal College of Art and met uh, Professor Roger Coleman. And Roger is the guy who's credited with coming up with the phrase inclusive design. And he and his colleague, Julia, Professor Julia Kasim, I sat and worked with them for about five years on and off and, and they were just brilliant and they inspired me. I just kind of thought designers aren't doing it. Clients don't quite get it. So I took on this kind of evangelical mission to kind of broker between designers and clients. So, you know, for the benefit of people who are actually using the, you know, the, the materials at the end, the end user, I guess, is what you'd call it. Which is probably why we love you and love what you do. And there's that, we've got another colleague, David Bonnet, who does architecture and his is make it accessible, make it beautiful. And, and that's yeah. what we kind of get with you. It's not Absolutely. make it bland and accessible. It's how do you make this fabulous and interesting and completely accessible? Well, I, I felt everyone was concentrating on the practical, the kind of the basic functional side of, of communication. Like that, that, that beyond big type used to split into four parts, didn't it? There was, there was the first part was about understanding. So people started to appreciate that it isn't just about visual impairment. There's cognitive, the, you know. Then there was a, a piece called inform, which was all the practical. It needs to work and you need to be able to get access to the information. But then in the afternoon, we go into engage and the qualities that design brings like making it interesting and uh, desirable and distinctive and memorable and beautiful. There's that, you know, I mean, not, it's, it's a little bit, I used to use a, an, an analogy like a, of, of um, a food and say, don't just give people bread and water. It just seems a bit patronizing, you know, give them, everyone deserves a full banquet mm. kind of thing. And that's the way I was thinking. And then at the end of that, there was a whole bunch of stuff around which formats to use. Yeah. So there's a whole range of stuff that needs to be considered. But yeah, I just wanted to say, don't throw out all the good things, beautiful, engaging things that design adds, um, just for the sake of having some functional information. You remind me, one of the bits we used to do, which is your thing where you'd, have, you'd identify sort of 12 created customers or users, and there'd be Aunt Flossie who still yeah. likes her newspaper and, yes. and listens to the radio. And then there was Mahal, who is always kind of out and about, and he uses his Walkman yeah. or his MP3 player. And that was kind of making these people real, so we could keep using all the different formats as well. It wasn't just reducing it, it was making it broader. I mean, that concept of individual people, is that yours? Was that other people's? Was that the way uh, it was done? No, um, well, I, I came with, but I don't know, I don't know if it's mine or not, Brody, but I, I, I went to, Julia sent me off to meet a lot of artists, right, who were blind and visually impaired, and I became friends with a couple of them. But I sat, um, one of these guys, he just said to me, well, I don't, you, you can't come up with one, answer because everyone's a bit different, and I don't want this. I went, oh, yeah, of course. And, and then he said, and he started talking to me about colour, and I kind of 
I mean, this is really naive of me back in the day, but I hadn't assumed that anyone who was blind colour mattered to them. Right. You know, I mean, it's very big. And so it changed the way I thought. And I realised that you couldn't just say, make everything this, and therefore it works. You had to understand that everyone's on a scale of cognitive, sensory, physical abilities, and everyone's a bit different. So, yeah, that was really important to me. And I, and I, I think I started calling it design for the individual. But in fact, it's now the big thing. Everyone accepts that you're not trying to come up with a, a one-size-fits-all solution. But if you can set things up so that they, if it shows you really understand an individual. And that's commercially great, isn't it? What launched a lot of that stuff back then was this concept of reasonable adjustments, wasn't it? You had to make websites accessible. You had yeah. Also, and 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 you've explained beautifully the the kind of rush for everything has got to be in aerial and twelve point. Yeah. And if yeah. you you fail to make a reasonable, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I yes. remember Simon and I looking at the designs you did for us at Wired back with Wired Design yeah. for uh, Minty and Friend, and it was radical. It was very different. And I remember saying to Simon, because you're right, you know, I am the one in the room going, what about, you know, this? <laughs> I said to Simon, but it, it, it's in italics, for God's sake. And it's not, you know, yes. blind yeah. people supposed to. And Simon very absolutely said, there are ways of making it accessible for people that need that without us having to do everything in one document kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think I used to show uh, Simon, didn't I, the two album covers of, um, uh, of, the, of the Sergeant Peppers was one of them, and uh, 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 Nevermind the Bollocks was one of them as well, wasn't it? And a beautiful, graphic, iconic covers. Yeah. And then I used to show them done by the RIB guidelines that would tick a box. Yeah. And they were both white with, or just off-white, in fact, with... Um, <laughs> You know, dark grey text in Arial at 12 point. And uh, yeah, you just start to see yeah, that just doesn't work. You've also reminded me, I think there was an image of maybe 20 different CDs. Now, they were all done in the accessible format. Uh, yeah. And they're just the spine of them. Yeah. You couldn't make head nor tail. No. It was impossible to work out. Then you put them as they were and every, every single one of them leapt out at you. You could see what was what. Yeah. Yeah, all apart from the George Michael one, which was called, ironically, was called Older, and it was done in a 5% tint off black or something. So, you, could, you know, <laughs> or 95% black off, 100% black or something. You couldn't read it at all, which I thought was lovely. Uh, done by a friend of mine, actually, but anyway. But the, um, yeah, no, I just, I just thought, uh, I just thought it was really important to kind of challenge some of these things and just so it's not that simple. And, uh, and, I, and, and what used to happen as well is I would get invited in then so all of a sudden, then we went to the Royal College of Art and we got awarded a, a brilliant prize on inclusive design by and Sir Terence Conran was there and everyone. It's really important. Radio 4 mentioned it in the morning the next day. And, uh, and it kind of led to us. People started ringing me up and saying, can you come in and sign off on some of our designs, like ticket, you know? I'm going, well, that's kind of not what it's all about, really. And, and the problem you would get is that uh, designers would design something without really understanding the possibilities okay because they're all it's really quite interesting and more challenging if you take take on the challenge and then clients wouldn't really understand the possibilities of design and you'd end up with this conflict where the designer would compromise slightly make the type a bit bigger the client wouldn't be fully happy no one goes away happy and the end user gets something which is kind of a bit of a mush 
So uh, that, that was my agenda. I would, but way, way too often I got invited in by people, you know, Natural History Museum, to mention no names, and said to say, you know, can you just sign this off? And I wanted them to start work, get the design teams to work with disabled users during, before they even started putting something together. Um, isn't you, you were not about a sort of kite mark stamp of approval. You're about, let's do it properly. I was really glad that you were doing it. it I always think disability is the unsexy one and you were bringing sexy to disability and design and accessibility, which is always cool because I, yeah, think- I got, I got sucked in to be honest. I, just, I started enjoying it and um, I met some wonderful people and it was really it was challenging at times. And I got invited to some great places and I, but I just, got, I just got really sucked in. I got a bit disillusioned at one point when I kept getting referred to the disability officer for companies. So a big company would ring up, you know, BT, whatever, B&Q, and they'd ring up and they'd say, can you come in? I go, yeah, great. We're going to talk at top, top level about how we can change things and it, we're not going to compromise on the beautiful design qualities. And, um, and then they put me up in a room with a guy with no budget yeah. and say, you know, uh, tell him how to do it, you know, and he would say, well, can we have it 12 point? And you'd, you'd, you'd end up going around in circles a little bit. So I did get a bit disillusioned at one point. Because you've worked in both spheres, the disability world, and you've worked commercially in the non, call it that, non-disability world. Yeah. Have you formed a view on whether there is an actual business case for companies to take disability seriously? Because it's a big question. Simon and I have been asked that question, I don't know how many times. So why shouldn't we ask you it? I mean, do you, do you sense that money can be made by getting inclusive? Okay, so um, Roger always used to bang, uh, uh, Haddon Hamlin Centre at Royal College of Art used to bang on, they always used to go about the business case and talk about OXO good grips and a whole range of different things that oh, yeah. have proven a, yeah. been a success and everything. But when I, when I started, I started, and I remember thinking 10 years later, well, I said, you've been trying to bang on about this business case. If there was a real business case there now, and there's demand, it would have happened, wouldn't it, naturally? If there's a social need, you know, and then there's a commercial desire, there's a, I reckon there's a part often that overlaps. And that's a really fertile ground. When I think if you work in that space there, where social need overlaps with commercial desire, I reckon that's where it sits. And that's what I'm going to focus on. That's where I'm getting quite excited about over this, uh, I mean, partly I've, been, <laughs> I've had time to think of this lockdown, but I think that's the area. I think, I think yes is the answer. There is a case. And I, I think it's because people either get siloed in the disability area yeah. or they get obsessed with the commercial and then think, oh, let's make it a bit work for disabled people. I want to explore that area in the middle and I want to, I'm quite excited about it. That's the bit you just mentioned about being sat in front of a disability officer. And I, I, um, I have a fear that can be also with diversity now. And really that role of that disability or diversity person, if you're one of those people who's listening, your role is to bring John to the in-house design team or the in-house comms team or to bring the, uh, to meet the procurement person it's not for them to be the end point they're meant to be bringing the two parties together yes. so you speak to the right people and then it becomes built into everything that they do rather than both you and the disabled person banging oh, officer banging yeah. on the door and it's about understanding and it's understanding the opportunities because i think the more people understand on both sides of 
the better chance you've got of doing it. It's not really just about saying, I, I've, I've done that now. It's, it's about yeah. properly understanding, you know. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com. Um, I kind of suspected this, but I didn't know until I started doing some research about you. You got a bit of a jazz background. Cool, cool jazz. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> you got your black yeah. roll neck on for us today. I, I, have, have, it. <laughs> yeah, I, have, my, I have my trumpet down here by my side, actually. If you want a little number, I can get that out for you. Are you, you yeah. do play? Are you musical? Well, so, so what, yeah, I, I was into music from being very young. I think my dad had, had the whole family playing musical instruments. Uh, and he used, to, he used to take us around like a little band to show off uh, when we were a bit like the Partridge family, but, uh, but, but, but a bit more ugly, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, he used to take us around at Christmas. And uh, I got lumbered with the, with the cornet at the time because it was a brass band locally. But I, I wanted to play trumpet. So I moved on to trumpet. And um, I was playing trumpet one day in his music shop. And a guy walked up to me and he said, I've got, I'm, I'm in a pop band. Do you want to play trumpet? Could we need a trumpet player? I went, I went, oh yeah, that sounds cool. And so I, so I joined. And I, was, I got more and more into jazz. Because if you play trumpet, you kind of get into jazz. That's just what you who do. Who was that? Where, where, where? Oh, who was the in Warrington. Oh, I'm joking. Oh, where, where, where? Oh, sorry. I thought you said, where, where, where? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I was going to say Johnny hates jazz, but that's too, too, yeah. <laughs> Okay, sorry, John, I've messed it up. Oh, that's all right, it's all right. So, yeah, no, that, that was it. So I joined and we, uh, and it was brilliant fun, really. And uh, it was a pop band and it was called uh, Explained Emma, uh, which you will never have heard of, probably. But we entered a competition that time in uh, Star Group 80, Star Group Northwest 83, it was. Ooh. And we beat Rick Astley to win it. Wow. No. Yes, yes. And we that's were off good. a record contract in Italy. Uh, as part of the deal. Uh, Peter Walsman was judging at the time, but he didn't, he didn't sign us, he signed Rick Astley. Mm. So, uh, I know, I know, it's weird. But then I, so I, yeah, I, jazz trumpet was my thing. And I left and joined a jazz band and I ended up setting up a small jazz club. I booked Ronnie Scott when I was 21, paid weird. him. And uh, it was brilliant, yeah, yeah, it was great. All in Warrington, so introducing jazz to Warrington. You worked with a trumpeter, and now I need to get these pronunciations right. Winton Marsalis? Uh, so I've not worked, so, so I started, I found my way into, after setting up this jazz club and promoting some events, I got heavily into promoting and uh, doing publicity and marketing for these events, which is how I got into publicity and marketing in the first place. That's a weird connection. Gotcha. And I became um, a publicity and marketing officer for a venue in London, and... You know, I, I was promoting really some of my heroes, like Winter Marsalis, Chick Corea. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sutty came on there as well. He was all, all the big names, you know. You say Sutty. Sutty, yes. And Sweet. <laughs> you know, they were a double act. <laughs> Still going. That's, yeah, that's nearly how our poster turned out, wasn't it? Yeah. It was going that way, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I, so I, I met some of these people. I worked backstage. I was a production manager. I was doing promotion, publicity. I learned loads in, in that kind of, in that, in that time because you would market, I was doing PR, so I, I would market a show. And then if you walked into a show, you're one of your heroes in there on the stage and you only had uh, the front row sold, you, that was an immediate reaction to, I've done a crap job at publicizing this show. Design, marketing, publicity, all that stuff. So I worked with some great people there. It was at the time when Max was first, 
kind of coming out onto the market properly. And, uh, and we bought one at this venue. And I, you know, the old days we were doing, you know, kind of the old cow gum and stick and lick and, 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 and we, uh, repro houses and everything. And so I kind of learned all that, which is great. And then this Mac came out and it just had like 16 levels of gray, but you could do things with type. And I thought, this is amazing. So I would stay every night for about six hours for four years, constantly upgrading, constantly teaching myself. Ended up, whilst I was at the theater, kind of my own business almost overlapping it so i kind of knew i was going to set up and it's where my passion was you did some graphic language i had no idea you said cut and lick and repro and i didn't know what you were talking about yeah it was the old days when you used to kind of just stick things on a board with type on a board and the pictures on a board and mark things up and you would send them across to the printers and say this is how i wanted to put this together for me basically the name maya angelou is in your list of previous lives or contacts how did that come about how did you meet her or well, again she was just one of she's a hero of mine Miranjou, but she was one of the people i i met her a couple of times had the privilege of meeting her again at this theater we promoted her but it, it to be honest she didn't need much promotion because she sold out in about 10 minutes right. but uh, yeah no she's she's great we had some brilliant people there. we had some not so brilliant people there but uh they, they we used to have a motto saying we'll get everybody on the way up or the way down you know so uh I That's wanted the dream. Eh? I wanted the dream. My dream is Maya sat you down one day and said, look, this trumpeting and jazz is all very well, but you need to get into <laughs> dis- disability and accessible design, John. And you went, all right, Maya, I'll do it for yeah. you. And yeah. here we are. Uh, no, no, yeah, not quite. But, that, but yeah, yeah, it, no, it's, it's amazing. With um, up to date, uh, you're, you're inspired by social challenges and you just said a lovely phrase that, you know, if there's a social need and a commercial desire, there's a sweet spot in there. Yeah. So now being inspired by social challenges, what does that mean? What do you gravitate towards? I talked about this sweet spot or this kind of fertile territory between kind of uh, commercial desire and social need. And one of the areas I think that's strongest is with the aging population. So I, I'm really passionate about working on issues around the aging population. You know, people have been on talking recently about this shift in this, uh, in, in, in the way that the aging population is going to go and the triangle, the pyramid is going to slightly invert. And I remember, you know, talking about this back in Korea about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, South Korea and Japan, you know, we were over there talking about the same thing because they have a super aging population, but it, it, it will prove the commercial case for me and I think it can be a great way of uh, pushing the case for disability because of course older does not mean disabled as we we all know but if you look at those graphs the correlation after 65 just gets quite steep Mm -hmm. so I think that's an area I'd like to focus on Um, so there's a a new organization at Royal College of Art called Design Age Institute and the guy who's going to run it I've worked with as a client on several occasions and I'm quite excited about this organization. So I'm kind of hoping I'm going to be getting involved there in some way, which is quite good. <laughs> I'd like to be working with the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers. I think, you know, I mean, Phil, something... Conflict here, conflict. Yeah, absolutely conflict. Yeah, all over the place. But I think it's, 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 it's got huge potential. And I'd like to, um, you know, and I've spoken to, to, to the guys there a little bit. But I want to, I want to do some work with them, which is great. So you've clearly got not a lot on, really. You're very... <laughs> well, I've got... My mind doesn't stop whizzing around. I think just to 
touch on one very important area you mentioned, and that's that aging population thing. And yeah, uh, RIDC would be very, uh, very interested to to talk yeah. to you about some thoughts. We've been looking, as you know, at the longevity economy. Simon and I have talked about it on the yes, show. Absolutely. Things. And it's a hugely rich area. And um, it may well be that that is where there's an interface between disability and non-disability, but there's a lot of common ground. So we'll have to see how that shapes up. Yeah. Be, that's, that's exciting times, I think, really, in, in that area. So, yeah. Um, Obviously, I've known you for quite a while, John, that you're someone who is outside this area, but the way you talk about it is so natural. And also your language and the things that you, you use around this are just spot on. I never, I never have to worry about you not getting some of the, what I call the disability 101 bits. It, it's, <laughs> I like people. That's not what that means, but there you go. Well, I like people who have a completely different profession, but then can double over into the area of disability and get it and speak the language and, and get the basics right. But you're you're also moving into uh, into mentoring into sort of life coaching is that right am i putting too much um no i mean i've been asked by a couple of people who run businesses just to kind of because most of what i do because i've run a couple of businesses which is great and a lot of what i do touches across the top of all businesses and i i think i've got some skills a couple of people have asked me to kind of help them out a little bit to just kind of just be a sounding board so i yeah it's it's interesting I'm, i'm flattered if somebody asked me but uh, it's not something I'm going to really throw myself at. Um, but I'm more than happy just to, for someone who I, as long as I like them enough, to, uh, <laughs> to be a sounding board and to, to give advice if I can. It's, it might not all be, be good advice, but uh, yeah. I, uh, I take your point. It's more about responding rather than something you're, you're pushing wholeheartedly. Yeah, but I, I think that's right. Yeah, that's probably a better way to, to sum it up. But I also, the, the whole bit you do, which is around sort of understanding someone's identity and what makes them tick and what they're all about is, is so powerful, so useful. Yeah, no, I think, I think it is. I think understanding, I mean, all those, I mean, brand. I mean, I, I, I try not to call it brand because people think about it in different ways. People do think it as identity. But understanding why, I mean, I, you know, people talk about brand purpose, which I tend not to use as well because it's a bit, most people in business, have some ambition it's not doesn't have to be a social purpose but they have a vision sometimes they lose that vision it gets a bit blurred so if i can help them to kind of regain that clarity and to find a way to kind of help achieve it some of it is i can i've got marketing i've got business i've got brand i've got technology is a big thing that i do a lot of that is really useful to most businesses so if i can bring some of that to help help people out that's um yeah i'm more than happy to do it well, we'll we'll definitely make sure that um, everyone listening to this show gets uh, you know your contact details and so on. So take you know a conversation. For <laughs> that would be great. I think one thing I would say about you, John, that I, I don't know you as well as Simon does, but um, I'd echo very much what he just said. That your passion for this subject is what really, really matters to me. I think you just give a damn, and you've clearly learnt so much over your lifetime that you're now sharing with people like me and lots of others. So long may it continue. I think um, people like you around us make sure that we, 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 you know, we have the best tools we can have for communicating the messages. And I think brand and identity really help with that. So it's been fabulous working with you. I've really enjoyed the way we roll work because it was great fun. You're fun yeah. to work with. That's important. Well, no, you, you were fun too. I love you guys too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, our listenership is very broad and there'll be Joe Schmo, who's your regular disabled person who is yeah. listening because they like it. And then we've got people working in corporates and all sorts. Uh, I would, if I were uh, the listener and you're kind of like the, the, the way John talks is to contact him. We asked you to come on the show. This is not your stuff because I just think you have a clarity of thought and can help a lot of people. So, um, yeah, we're, and we're very appreciative of what you've done for us. No, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. That's it for this show. Um, John, before you go, do you have a website? Do you know about uh, websites? Have you heard of these things? <laughs> Several of them. No, I'm just decided. I'm just, I was thinking this morning, I probably should put up a web page just in case you ask me this. So I've decided to name my new direction after my old dad who died five years ago. His name is Basil, B-A-S-I-L. I'm, so I'm going to call it basil.org.uk. So... Okay. Uh, that, that leaves me about a day to make and publish a web, a web page. <laughs> All right. uh, you're on social media and LinkedIn as well. So just in case I can grab bit. you not, there. Not often, but yeah, a little bit. Thank you to our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the show. It's, uh, it's always a joy to have a, a sort of engaged and knowledgeable guest. So um, our thanks to John, Phil. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been lovely, John. So thank you for joining us. And uh, if you want to contact us, we'll leave that at the end of the show. So thank you very much. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com or just search for Minty and Friend on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. <laughs>